I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I'm Bharat, a research analyst at the Akshila Institution, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Ajahn Tarapol, who is a research scholar at the Center for International Security and Cooperation at Stanford University, and a non-resident senior fellow at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Ajahn, welcome to All Things Policy. Thank you very much for having me. I know it's been a long time coming, and I appreciate your patience. It's a great privilege, and uh, I'm a big fan of Takshashila. So thanks for having me. Great. Um, so we're going to speak about the Quad Arzan, which is, uh, you know, I mean, our listeners might, of course, know it's an informal kind of strategic dialogue or grouping between four countries: the United States, Australia, Japan, and India. Uh, and we've seen mentions of the grouping. It's received so much attention from you know the world world over in the media, for instance. Um, I'd I'd like to begin by asking you what I mean. Could you describe the gravity that pulls these four countries together? Right. I mean, um, I, I and I say that with a bit of an eye towards history. Right. The fact that there were efforts to. Uh, work together between you know do work with 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 uh, between these four countries um, you know since two thousand and four uh, for various you know concerns and reasons the quad disbanded in two thousand and eight it again came up uh, you know almost after a decade later um, and it's been progressing since then right I mean twenty seventeen we had assistant um, secretary level kind of meetings twenty nineteen on we have. Uh, had foreign minister meetings, and in 2021, um, we've had kind of leader level summits. Um, how would you describe? I mean, what is it? What is the glue that binds these countries together? I mean, is it just that you know these are like-minded countries who envision a similar kind of future in the region in the Indo-Pacific? Is that all there is to the core, or do you see something just beyond that? Well. Yeah, it's a, it's a good beginning framing question uh, because I think it's often mis- misinterpreted. When you say, is, it, is that all there is to it? That's a really big deal to have four countries that are relatively like-minded on how they see the region is, is no trivial matter. And so I think that that is largely it, but that's a very big deal in my perspective. Now, when you rightly say with a, with a view to history, I think that gives us a clue, right? Because the first iteration of the Quad was a bottom-up problem-solving grouping to help with humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, or HADR, after the Boxing Day tsunami. And that was the genesis of the Quad. It then evolved into a discussion over regional security issues and then was quickly disbanded. And then when it resurfaced in 2017, as you said, at officials level. Again, it was a informal bottom-up in the sense that it was a bureaucratic, not a top-down political-driven initiative to solve regional problems. Now, that's a very big amorphous phrase, 
the original, as I said, the original iteration of the quad was to solve the Boxing Day tsunami HADR problem. But then in the 2017 onwards, the problem is the future of the region, right? So it's a huge undertaking. So when you say what is the gravity that pulls these four countries together, there's many different gravities. One of them is the fact that these are four countries that uh, profess to be democracies, which is not unimportant. Another is that they are four capable countries. Um, It's the United States, obviously, plus three other very capable countries in different uh, dimensions. and another thing, the the sort of the 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 other set of glue that binds them together is this strategic, this common strategic vision of the region. Now, there's a lot to unpack just in that. As I said, it's not a trivial matter. Uh, when the quad was disbanded in its first iteration, it was disbanded because. I think there was a sense among its members that it was going too far, too fast yeah, uh, in right. imposing a sort of alternative to, to China, to the rising power and ambition of China. In 2017 onwards, the strategic landscape has shifted completely uh, in, in, the, in, in the preceding decade and the four countries came together uh, acknowledging that the rise of Chinese power and critically Chinese assertiveness to threaten what the four countries call the rules-based international order was a uh, pressing challenge for the region. Now, I have to be careful because the Quad members will be very careful to say, look, this is not an anti-China grouping. And that is correct. If you look at the work that they do, it's not about uh, opposing China, but what it is subtly different but importantly different, is posing an alternative to China because China has a coherent vision for a China-led Asia or Indo-Pacific region. And the four quad countries realized that there was no coherent alternative to that vision, that future vision for the region. So they have combined in recent years to say, listen, this is a problem. We need to pose a positive vision for the region uh, to shore up the international order, which after decades of being established after the Second World War was showing signs of stress and, and, and crumbling. And the four countries decided that this was the time to, to shore up that order by posing a coherent and positive vision for the region that was an alternative to Chinese hegemony. Right. And um, so, I mean, you've you've quite nicely mentioned the difference between what guided Quad 2.0 versus what guides uh, Quad 1.0 and what guides the Quad 2.0. I I was interested in in, in just this question about how sensitive are Quad partners and the Quad to China today. Um, Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, Kind of, I mean, there obviously exists levels in that in bilateral relationships, right? I mean, if you look at the Australia-China relationship, or if you look at the India-China relationship, um, there are levels that impact how the Quad might function or how individual Quad countries see the Quad. Um, 
So, you know, since 2020, for instance, right, I mean, there has been a shift in, in the Indian-China relationship. Um, do you see that, you know, I mean, in, in, in what way are Quad countries sensitive to China today? I mean, has it changed since the Quad 1.0 era or are, are, are kind of broad frameworks pretty much the same? Yeah, absolutely. Again, when when the Quad was first founded in in after the tsunami, it was just a sort of operational group to fix to 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 provide an HADR solution after the tsunami, and it then evolved into a strategic dialogue. After twenty seventeen, I think, as I said before, the 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 intervening decade saw radical shifts in the landscape. And as you said, every member of the Quad has reasons to join the Quad. India obviously has uh, not only a territorial dispute, but a territorial dispute that has in recent years turned lethal. Japan also has territorial disputes with China in the East China Sea. Uh, the United States is obviously engaged in a very broad-ranging strategic competition with China, and even Australia, which is relatively small and relatively distant uh, compared to India and Japan, uh, even it has friction points where China has levied significant economic coercion against Australia. So they all, all four members of the Quad, have their own uh, frictions with China. But I think the thing that is common among all four countries is that they see China posing a challenge to the type of order that they want to see in the region. And that is the, that is the sort of common thread in what brings the Quad together. Now, the important thing is when you talk about regional order, the audience for the Quad is not only China to sort of suggest to China that you know, you will not have untrammeled hegemony in the region, that that there is an alternative. But the the key audience for the Quad is the region itself, right, which is why you always hear the Quad uh, going to great lengths to stress the centrality of ASEAN, right, the, the importance of existing uh, institutional mechanisms in the region and especially right. the importance of... Uh, regional countries' interests. And it's with a view to those regional countries' interests that the Quad shapes its agenda. Uh, Because if you are presuming to provide order for the region or shore up order for the region, that's useless unless you have regional buy-in, unless you are seen as legitimate in the eyes of the region, which is why the Quad uh, shapes its business the way it shapes its business. Uh, because if you are posing an alternative to China, you obviously uh, want to be addressing the needs and the imperatives of the region. So in, in terms of, right, so if it works in infrastructure, what are the concerns that these countries face in the region, right? We'll address those concerns. Um, so it, it works um, yeah. according to those interests. Right. And 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 you sort of raise uh, you, you sort of raise an interesting point in my mind when you use the word infrastructure, right? That 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 reminds me that when the Quad wants to pose an alternative to China, it's not a symmetric mm. alternative. It's not to to out China. China, you can't because China has deeper pockets than the four Quad countries do. Uh, and so, what the Quad wants to do is asymmetrically 
pose an alternative to China, to to do things that only the Quad can do that China cannot do. And so instead of building bridges and ports, mm-hmm. although the Quad will sort of try and do that on the margins, the main effort of the Quad is to address transnational challenges uh, that require collective action, right? Because as as you know as good students of public policy we know that one of the biggest problems in public policy is collective action problems and the quad is trying to address that from 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 its first big uh, headline policy deliverable which was covid vaccines right. right through to everything else where it's engaged with uh, you know, cyber regulations and telecoms regulations and critical and emerging technology standards, all of those issues are designed to address the collective action problem and to, and to address transnational issues that, that no single country can, 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 uh, can address by itself. Right, and I think also, I mean, when you mention all of that, it's also... Um, you know, I mean, the court also kind of emphasizes principles, right? I mean, transparency in infrastructure financing or what is good exactly. technology? What is a good regulation? You know, what are those principles that guide technology use, for example? So I I, exactly. I, 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 I do, I think that's quite an interesting use um, of, you know, the asymmetric, you know, uh, use of, of, of what it wants to do in the region. Um and it's because the quad countries have different strengths compared to China, right? The, the quad countries cannot, unlike China, the quad countries cannot summon vast amounts of money and, and deploy it top down because the quad countries are market economies uh, where the state does not control private investment. And so the best that they can do is try and sort of urge private investment to to build the ports and roads, but that's obviously not going to be as effective as the Chinese model in doing that. But what they can do, as you suggested, is to is to set standards and provide a framework for uh, for regulation and rules of the road, which is the function of a state in a market economy. So they're really playing to their strengths of trying to set that policy framework rather than to actually uh, to, to, to try and replicate what the Chinese are doing or to try and uh, 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 supplant what uh, private industry or private investment would do in their systems. Right. Um, so that brings me to my second question. How do you assess the success of the Quad? I mean, you know, its agenda yeah. keeps expanding summit by summit, right? It's kind of, you know, spread across, what, 9, 10, 11 areas. Um, how do you actually, you know, when I think about in my head or uh, our listeners may think about, you know, what is, is the quad successful today, right? Or do you think, instead of asking that question, um, perhaps, I mean, it's too soon to ask the question, uh, given it's kind of, you know, and it's only since 2021 has it, kind of been uh you know kind of spent capital in 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 kind of exploring areas that it's working on and saying these are our deliverables yeah. that we wish to uh kind of provide to yeah. the region so i mean how do you assess yeah. the success uh and the second kind of question is it even right to mm-hmm. ask that question yeah that's um i'm glad you asked that second question so th- look in its second iteration since 2017 for the first few years it was just 
uh, a forum for strategic consultations. And I shouldn't even say just, because that in itself is a significant thing. But as you said, only since 2021 has it laid out a uh, agenda of policy deliverables that it seeks to achieve. And that's done on on two tracks. There's a foreign minister's track and a leader's track, right? The summit track. Each one has its own program of work and its own set of deliverables. Uh, the summit track, the leader's track, has, I think, six working groups that between summits have sub-working groups and they have intersessional meetings where they try and sort of track progress and make sure that they're delivering. Uh, and it's a, and it's a very fair question that you ask. I think it's a very important question that you ask. How do we know that it's succeeding? Because, to be honest, uh, like with with most policy, it's not something that you can easily just look up, right? It's something that requires a bit of analysis, and a couple of factors complicate that. First is, uh, and most important is, as you said, it's still early days. Only in 2021, only three years ago, or even less than three years ago, did it begin to promise policy deliverables. And that was with COVID vaccines, which is obviously now OBE, which is overtaken by events and, and, and no longer a salient issue. Uh, and thereafter, its agenda rapidly increased uh, to cover multiple lines of effort, multiple working groups, in parallel to the foreign minister's track. And so it's, you know, much of its work is only one year old or two years old. And so uh, it's still very early days to actually have accomplished what it sought to achieve. I don't think you can sort of fairly characterize uh, the Quad's work as a short-term, discrete policy right. deliverable. I think it's more useful to think of it as a campaign, mm-hmm. right, as a long-term campaign along multiple parallel lines of effort or, or, or working groups or deliverables. And as time goes on, and time should be measured in years, not weeks or months, as time goes on, years and decades down the track, we will see gradually things being delivered. And if the quad can maintain a tempo of delivering things, you know, maintain a drumbeat of delivering things, then it will, uh, it will, it will be succeeding. And that brings me to to the final point when we talk about the effectiveness of the quad or the success of the quad. There's a couple of ways to look at it. One is, you know, has it achieved the material, tangible? Uh, outcomes that it pledged to achieve. The other critical measure of effectiveness is acceptance within the region. And if regional states and regional populations see the Quad as a useful provider of international public goods, then that in itself is a measure of effectiveness. And so it's, it's, it's a very high bar of success, right? Because it not only needs to deliver on the specific policy uh, outcomes that it has committed to, but it also then has to translate that into uh, political and popular acceptance around the region, which is which is an additional lift for for any institution. I was going to ask you this later, but yeah, do you think it has gained acceptance in the region? Uh, 
I mean, you know, there's concerns about ASEAN. Um, I, I don't know how, how valid those concerns are, but in terms of political acceptance, um, do you think it's gained that kind of clout in the region or do you, do you think we're, we're kind of, it's too early to say? Yeah, I think, again, it's a bit it's a bit early to say, and it's also not a binary thing, right? Has it gained or mm. has it not gained acceptance? I think, you know, there are there is some, albeit uh, methodologically questionable polling in the region, mm. yeah. uh, but the only polling in the region among sort of political and NATSEC elites suggests that the quarters is... Is 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 accepted, yeah. right? People certainly, at least, we can say with confidence, it's not. People are not hostile to the court, mm-hmm. which is the most important mm-hmm. thing, because the, there has to be an understanding that it will not be embraced warmly and wholeheartedly unless it begins to deliver things. And you know, refer to my earlier point, you can't expect that so quickly. Uh, so the good news is that. I don't think there's hostility mm. to it. I think there is um, a sense that the countries of the region are willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, are willing to test it out and, and allow it to prove itself. And, and so I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a positive sign. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. Arzan, I'd like to talk about the Indian Ocean region, which is an area you've kind of extensively worked on. Um, and, you know, of course, in India, it's been, the area has, has been in the news because of what's happening in the Maldives today. Um, in terms of yeah. what we see happening there, you know, we have an intensifying India-China, you know, maritime and strategic, uh, you know, uh, intensifying relationship of, of which, you know, maritime and strategic are kind of, are kind of two quantos. Um, we've seen that the U.S. has, you know, you know, the U.S. wants to step up engagement in the region. Um, there is kind of, um, uh, you know, I mean, it wants to kind of increase its engagement and kind of, uh, you know, make it more bolstered. Um, and I wanted to ask you, what are some long-term trends in the region? I mean, how do you see it being shaped from a security and strategic perspective? Uh, and this is something you've written in the, in, in the Asia policy. You've written about, you know, multiple strategic futures of the, of the Indian Ocean region. Right? It's hard to kind of pinpoint, yeah. okay, this is what, you know, we. I mean, so in terms of trends, overall trends, how do you see it being shaped? And my second part of the question is, do you see... You know, there being a a, a future um, for the Quad in the IOR. Um, the IOR has yeah. been mentioned in you know joint statements and readouts. Uh, you know of the Quad. Um, there's been reports that you know because this year India is hosting the Quad Summit, there has been considerable attention, uh, or there will be considerable attention over the IOR uh, in in the Quad's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, do you see there being? Um, at least, you know, the IPMD, of course, does focus on the IOR, but um, from a holistic perspective, when we look at maritime security, do you think the Quad can participate in um, shaping the region's priorities? Yeah. So I'm glad you put it, you framed it in terms of trends, because I think it's too often we see people take a snapshot of the region and especially if you are sitting in India and you take a snapshot of the region 
it's it's a very comforting snapshot. Uh, but the problem is that, as you rightly said, we should be thinking in terms of trends. And the trends, in my view, are quite worrying. They're worrying because we see the Chinese Navy uh, building an enormous uh, tonnage of new shipping, and not just aggregate tonnage, but also certain types of platforms that are designed for extended range and missions in the northern Indian Ocean. And their doctrine specifies that as well. Oh, sorry, their, their, their writings on, on military strategy specify the importance of the northern Indian Ocean. So we know and we see and we see Chinese uh, uh, vessels doing sort of preparatory work in, in the region with surveys and bathymetric um, 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 surveys. And so we know we have the leading indicators of... A, a rapidly growing Chinese presence in the region. Now, that's a presence that is naval, but not only naval. Obviously, there's also a political presence and an economic presence that is also rapidly growing. And so we really do need to think in terms of trends. And that's a problem for countries like India. It's a problem for members of the Quad because uh, we, the members of the Quad, uh, have trouble uh, m- mobilizing and deploying resources as quickly as the Chinese do. So when we spot a trend, we know it's going to take longer for us to respond to it uh, than than the Chinese. And so the time to act is now uh, because currently uh, India has certain advantages in the region. Even the US has certain advantages in the region and Australia because of its position. But those advantages, I think we can with confidence, say, will erode very quickly. And unless we act now to to address that trend, uh, the members of the Quad, especially India, none more so than India, will find their interests jeopardized very quickly. And once those interests are jeopardized, it will be very, very difficult to claw back the uh, the leverage that India currently has in the region. Now, what does that actually look like? Uh, I would argue, and I've and I've written about this in the past, uh, that that countries like India have what I've called strategic leverage in the region that they can consolidate now before it's too late. Uh, and when you ask about the Quad, I think you hit on an important point because. One of the key challenges for any quad member is that when when the quad member, an individual quad member, uh, is uh, put next to China, then China is obviously going to loom large and, and have a lot of material and resource advantages compared to that single quad member. So the key advantage of the quad is that it is able to coordinate the resources, assets, attention um, across multiple partners and across the region. And so bringing it back to the Indian Ocean, uh, I think we can think of it at two levels. One is what the Quad can do as the Quad, as a, as a formal or correction, as a, as, a, as a named grouping of the four countries, either on the foreign minister's track 
which is concerned with issues of maritime security specifically, or on the leaders track, which is concerned with those other transnational issues I was talking about. But then there's another way that the Quad members can act, and that is to cooperate with each other in Mm. what I've previously called the informal Quad, or where the Quad works where, where quad members work with each other, sometimes bilaterally, sometimes trilaterally, or sometimes all four together, albeit outside the confines of the foreign minister's track or the leader's track, and the four countries can work together uh, and coordinate together and sometimes with additional members as well. So an example of that is Malabar, the exercise Malabar, which is a, 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 an exercise between the four countries' navies. Um that occurs but does not come under the quad banner yeah exactly that is not a formal quad activity uh, but it is it is um it is undertaken by the four quad members and there's and if you look in the in the military domain which the quad is very very careful about not uh embracing formally again because of regional sensitivities uh nevertheless outside the formal banner of the quad the four members or, or a subset of the four members often cooperate militarily with a range of uh, a growing network of bilat, trilat, and quadrilateral exercises uh, and other forms of military cooperation, which is especially relevant, bringing it back to the Indian Ocean. Because the Indian Ocean, when you mentioned India, you mentioned the United States, I would also throw in Australia because of its strategic geography. Uh, these three partners within the Quad in particular have a vested interest in making sure that they maintain the strategic leverage that they currently have. Uh, and the only way they can maintain that leverage is not by outbuilding the Chinese when it comes to ships, because they can't do that, right? In particular, I mean, the, the recent comparisons that have come to light between the US and the Chinese shipbuilding industry is, is you know, multiple orders of magnitude different. We, we cannot outbuild the Chinese, uh, but what we can do is coordinate. And this is, again, the, the key benefit of the Quad. The Quad members can cooperate together, coordinate together, and it's through that combined action that they can ensure that the Indian Ocean remains, you know, relatively free of coercion. Which is which is the threat that they will face if they do not coordinate now? Right, and and I missed this point about um, why it would be better for the informal quad, uh, by which you mean kind of you know uh, security matters or defense partnerships and so on. Um, um, why would be beneficial for that particular iteration or you know characteristic of the quad? Um, to focus on the IOR as opposed to kind of a formal, um, you know, focus by the quad itself. What what reasons are there for yeah for that difference? Yeah, it comes back to the earlier point about uh, the quad's purpose uh, and the quad's acceptance. Right, the quad's purpose is not to engage in security competition. The quad's purpose is to provide international public goods. That's that's that is what the four countries have decided that they will use the quad for. And part of that is a realization that the region does not want intensified security competition 
fears intensified security competition. And so if they were to announce uh, the Quad as a uh, defense collective, then that would immediately undercut uh, its own purpose. It would go against its own purpose. Uh, And so that's why I think they very consciously decided that the states will not cooperate on this. The militaries at a military-to-military level continue to do this. As I said, not always four together. In fact, comparatively rarely four together. It's usually bilateral or trilateral cooperation. Uh, And of course, I mean, it's important to also mention that non-traditional maritime security is already the formal quads focus. Exactly. Uh, it's right. already focusing on illegal fishing, on counterterrorism. We've had tabletop exercises, for instance. Exactly. So um, it, it might still kind of extend to the IR in those spaces, but um, it would be appropriate for the informal, quote-unquote, informal quad to take up more, uh, you know, serious military-to-military kind of cooperation-level matters. Yeah. Um, so exactly yeah. as you as you said, maritime security is is one of the one of the undertakings in the foreign minister's track, and it is framed in terms of you know genuinely maritime security, which which in practical terms means things like IUU fishing. It means things like building the capacity of regional states. Uh, and and also in the leaders track, it means things like IPMDA, the, the Indo-Pacific Maritime Domain Awareness Initiative. Uh, and so, but but here's the thing, right? Here's the difference. Those matters are matters of transnational concern. These are matters of uh, maintaining maritime security for the region, especially in the global commons, in those areas that are not. Uh, controlled by any particular state, uh, these uh, the the quad realizes that that someone needs to address the collective action problem in the global commons, in the transnational sphere of maritime security, and the foreign minister's track is 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 working along those lines. What the informal quad does when the militaries of quad member states work together. They are advancing their own national interests, not the region's interests, in, for example, uh, reinforcing deterrence or reinforcing counter-coercion capabilities uh, across the region, uh, between themselves across the region. And so that, to me, is the distinction, right? It's not a, it's not a matter of sort of uh, non-traditional security, which people often sort of relegate down the down the priority list of what is considered quote unquote serious security it's not that it's more in my mind the distinction between transnational concerns and the concerns of each individual quad members military establishment and their military right. establishments are free to cooperate together as they do um, but the quad is concerned with transnational issues Right. Yeah. So it's it's imp- yeah, important to kind of highlight that the Quad is concerned with transnational threats and issues rather than, uh, you know, like I mean, concerns that national countries like these four countries might face together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. Um, Arjun, I'd like to leave our readers with one final uh, question, which is, what do you think of the Quad's future? I mean. You know what? What kind of factors do you think determine? I mean, if you're looking at okay, is 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 this kind of grouping 
um, a successful or will be a successful kind of initiative? I mean, what factors do you think determine its success or failure? Um, and I'm particularly kind of noting, you know, the fact that there is going to be a change of political administration in the US and India later this year, in Australia and Japan next year. Um, do you think that's an important determinant in how the quad might evolve? Um, and relatedly, I, I, I want to know your thoughts on what challenges do you think the quad might face as it as, go, as it goes further. Oof. And um, just, <laughs> is that all? <laughs> and just the fact that um, you know it's 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 an at an embryonic stage, so it's yeah. it's hard to say what what these kind of you know things are but in your perspective how would you describe its future yeah oh so the short answer is no one knows including the quad members themselves right so it's important to understand the quad uh i as far as i know and as far as i believe I th- and i'm confident in saying that the political establishments of the four quad countries do not have an end state in mind They do not have a grand plan that they are gradually deploying and unfurling. It is very much a matter of, of, you know, feeling the rocks under the feet to cross the river or however that aphorism goes. I think, again, as I said earlier, we should consider uh, each line of effort of the quad as a campaign and therefore Mm. the quad as a whole as the beginnings of a order-providing framework that could evolve in any number of different directions, right? The future is is plural. We don't know how the quad will evolve, uh, and that will de- that will be determined by many many factors, including how much how much material resources each member will put into the quad, how much institutional capacity. They devote to the quad, including whether they establish any sort of coordinating mechanisms. Right now, the quad, for example, does not have a secretariat. I don't know if it will ever have a secretariat. It may or may not. It depends on how the region reacts to the quad. It depends in large part on what China does. Mm. Uh, It's very feasible that China could take a tactical position that 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 makes the quad more or less appealing. Uh, and so it depends on many, many factors. And the important point is that that no one knows. There is no set trajectory. And that's both a comforting and a, and a discomforting thing, right? Because on the one hand, it requires constant tending and constant political attention. Uh, and on the other hand, it's that very uncertainty that might give Beijing pause because yeah, when you think of uh, the theories of coercion and deterrence, uh, uncertainty plays a big role in, uh, de- in, in shaping your adversary's calculus. And so uncertainty over the Quad's future direction can actually be considered an asset. Uh, and so leaving it open-ended is is not actually such a bad thing. The flip side of that, the reason that it may not be helpful is because, as, as, as I've said and as you suggested, uh, the four countries are democracies and there is always a chance that governments change. 
uh, we're fairly confident, I'm fairly confident the Indian government won't change. I'm less confident the US government won't change, uh, but hopeful <laughs> that it won't. Um, uh, uh, and there is always a risk that a change in administration won't undo the quad. It's it's unlikely, I think, to to subvert the quad or, or demolish the quad. It's more likely, the the real more more likely concern is that it will just reduce the level of effort and attention that is required to propel the quad to keep it moving. Um, so the 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 bigger risk is that the quad stalls, and it can't afford right. to stall. Right, so it needs members who are committed to the project, so that they keep devoting political attention and resources to it, and that is 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 what is required of the governments of the four countries. There is a degree of institutionalization of the quad. It's again, you know, right. as a minilateral, it is not a formal institution. But what I mean is that within the four members. The quad is, to varying degrees, institutionalized, meaning there are bureaucrats in charge of the quad, uh, right. which is a good thing. Which sort of uh, uh, insulates it from political winds changing. Um, and so, I don't think it'll be sort of. Uh, I don't think it's at risk of of going away, uh, but political continuity is important to keep the quad advancing and, as we said earlier, delivering. And you need to and, and, to be successful. Yeah. And also to mention that, I mean, in change in administration also means uh, the quad countries, you know, each of those countries' relationships with China will change, right? Potentially. Uh, and that, Pot- yeah. Potentially, but I, I would suggest only tactically, right? The days, right. Of, the days of 2007 are behind us. I think the four mm. countries are now all pretty deeply and pretty structurally uh, uh, in, in, uh, have, have pretty deep and structural interests at stake and pretty deep and structural reasons to maintain this broad direction. So, yeah, tactically it may change. You know, we may see uh, Beijing dialing up or dialing down its sort of the tone or the wolf warrior-ness of its positions. And that may sort of have a tactical effect. But long-term trends of yeah. uh, competitive dynamics with China may remain the same. Absolutely. I mean, India right. India and China are not going to, there's, there's not going to be a, con- the, mm. the tectonic plates are not going to shift so that the right. subcontinent, you know, floats back into the Indian Ocean, right? They're, they're going to remain neighbors. Their interests are going to, to, to overlap and collide. And that's inescapable. Uh, and that and 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 that is a that is a, an abiding reality for the rest of our lives. Great. With that, Arzan, thank you so much for hanging out with us at All Things Policy. This was great. We look forward to reading more of your work on the Quad and the Indian Ocean region. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks very much for the for the opportunity. It's always good to have a chance to sit and, and think about it uh, for a little while. Thanks for your questions. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM Network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, 
चेक एस आउट एट आर ट्विटर हैंडल एट तक्षशिला आई एन एस टी और आर वेबसाइट तक्षशिला डॉट ओ आर जी डॉट इन